Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, and we're on a bunch of other media platforms as well. So hit that subscribe button. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. From Ball State Athletics, Paul Havocott. Penn State Athletics, Kevin Adams. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by a linebacker who spent 11 seasons in the NFL. Nine of those with the Steelers. His list of accolades goes on and on and on, and I'm going to be representing him later, so I'm not going to throw them all out there right here at this moment, but he's an <laughs> All-American out of Clemson and a member of the NFL 1990s All-Decade team. Steelers great, LaVon Kirkland. LaVon, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I'm sorry about earlier, but we're on today. We're on right now, so it's all good, but thank you all guys matters. for having me. Thank you. So we'll have a Q&A for LaVon after uh, about his career, of course. Tonight's debate is the top five Steelers linebackers of all time. There is no team in NFL history that has been as blessed at the linebacker position as the Steelers. The Bears are probably in second, but they're still far off, in my opinion. So we're going to start out tonight with uh, Brian. He's going to give us some info on Greg Lloyd. All right, Greg Lloyd. 1987 to 1997 with the Steelers, 1998 with the Carolina Panthers. Come out of Fort Valley State, a small historically black college in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Lloyd was relatively unknown, but the Steelers decided to draft him. Um, you know, an outside linebacker. He was six foot two, 228 pounds. Uh, Steelers quickly found that they had selected a tough, hard-hitting, intimidating, and downright nasty man who could make plays from sideline to sideline. The LA Times once described Lloyd as one angry cuss. He wore a shirt underneath his jersey, which read, I wasn't hired for my disposition. And the longtime banner at Three Rivers Stadium uh, simply read, avoid Lloyd. All three messages were true. His trash talking was known throughout the league. He would have choice words, even for teammates who crossed him. And simply avoiding him was usually a pretty good choice. Uh, in the 1990s, he combined with Chad Brown, Kevin Green, and some fellow named LaVon Kirkland to create one of the most feared linebacker cores of the decade, Blitzburg. Uh, from 1991 to 1995, Lloyd made the Pro Bowl after all five seasons. He was also a first-team All-Pro in three of them. 27 forced fumbles during that span of time. He led the NFL in 1994 and 1995 in forced fumbles. He also racked up 37 QB sacks during that time and had six picks. And he's also a Taekwondo black belt. So just another reason not to mess with this guy. And one of you guys better pick him tonight or else I really can't guarantee your safety. <laughs> so, LaVon, you, you played with Greg Lloyd for a little while there and you kind of took over the reins once he left. But uh, is there anything that in particular that you might have learned from him and, and your thoughts on him uh, in that outside linebacker position there? Uh, <clears throat> Greg was the, <clears throat> I, I would have to say he was the alpha male of all of us. He really, the one thing I got from Greg is how to work as a professional and how to take it to another level. His work ethic was amazing. Um, he practiced like he played. 
He practiced like he had a, a chip on his shoulder, and he really demanded that everybody else play the same way. It was funny. You couldn't really <laughs> – on our defense, if you didn't get Greg Lloyd's approval, play on our defense. And I just remember me and Chad trying to live up to him and Kevin. And we were new at the position. Like, we never played inside linebacker in our lives. So it was different. But Greg was the leader. He was the guy who did the talking. But the, the cool thing was he knew how to back it up. And I, I thought he was one of the baddest men on the planet. I mean, people actually feared him. They, they really did. Um, he had a reputation, and he could back up every word. I mean – Whoever made him, man, they made <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, he was cut up. I mean, like a superhero. He was – I think he might have had the eight-pack instead of the six-pack. Uh, he was mean. He had an origin story. I mean, it was like you carved a villain out, and it was Greg Lloyd. He was menacing. He was amazing. If we needed to play – up front, he made a play up front. One of the, not really a big guy, but very explosive. Probably more explosive than most guys was. Just, to me, a, a guy that belongs, <laughs> he belongs in the uh, NFL Hall of Fame. He really does. And it's uh, tragic that he's not in it because during his era, he was the man. He really was. It's a shame injuries cut his career a little short there at the end, but uh, mm -hmm. great, great career. Let's move on to James Harrison. So, yeah, James Harrison um, played for Kent State uh, in Ohio for college. Um, and he was signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers as he was an undrafted uh, free agent in 2002. Um, he went undrafted because teams had actually feared that he was too short uh, at only six feet to play linebacker. And he was too light at, at 240 pounds uh, to play on the defensive line. Uh, man, were they were they wrong and probably kicking themselves because he ended up having a pretty good career. <laughs> uh, so James, uh, he went on to win two Super Bowls with the Steelers. Um, and we all know one of the bigger reasons why we won against Arizona was his 100-yard uh, interception return uh, in the Super Bowl here in Tampa against the Arizona Cardinals. Um, that kind of flipped some of the momentum. Um, great play. Uh, he's the only undrafted player to be named Defensive Player of the Year, um, which is pretty impressive. Uh, he's a five-time pro bowler. He had a hard-hitting style. Um, I know, though, early in his career, he was actually debating retiring from football, um, I believe at the age around 26, where Clark Higgins had gotten into a weightlifting accident in the offseason. Um, and it actually kept uh, Harrison uh, from retiring. Um, so if that didn't happen, he may never have had the, had the career that he had. Um, but this man, was when he would work out, the dude was, even in his last few years, the man was working out like Derrick Henry works out. This dude had power, um, endurance. Uh, he retired. When he came back, he still played. Like, he basically, like, never left. Like, he still had some good seasons, uh, those last three with the Steelers before going over to New England. Um, but... Hard-hitting, top-notch. Um, he's the Steelers' all-time leading sack leader with 80-and-a-half sacks right now. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro. He's the NFL forced fumbles leader in 2008. He finished his career with 811 tackles, 84-and-a-half sacks, 34 forced, forced fumbles, nine fumble recoveries, eight interceptions, and one defensive touchdown. Sports Illustrated did a top 10 Steelers linebackers of all of all time back in 2020, and they listed Harrison as number three. So he should be in our top five. Who's one and two on that list? <laughs> That's like an end of that, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, you and you have a son named after him, so you forgot that part. <laughs> so Harrison James. So, uh, LeVon, <laughs> let, let me ask you, um, Harrison's had some uh, some off-the-field issues here and there, but – a lot of suspensions, uh, a lot of claims that his hitting uh, was definitely wouldn't fit in today's game. Um, does it maybe tarnish his legacy a little bit, all those suspensions and the way he played, or does that just make him more powerful and fearful? Uh, I, I really think it adds a lot of color to it. 
Uh, you know, when you think of linebackers, a lot of times you think of them getting suspended or them being a little over the line. In a lot of ways, he reminds me of the Greg Lloyd, the Joey Porter type of player, the Jack, the Jack Lambert type of player that was always praised for being uh, incredibly mean or not likeful. I mean, it makes them colorful. And people draw to that. They draw to that storyline. And I think, I don't think it hurts them at all. I think it actually, I think it's going to help them. I think it's going to help them get into the the NFL uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I don't think that's going to be an issue with him about the issue. I mean, about all the stuff he did and all the annex, a lot of times it plays in your favor. And I think in this case, it plays in his favor. Uh, a heck of a story, though. You know, a guy who got, I think, cut or released like four times. Yeah. I think most guys would have just been like, it's over with. That's, that's it for me. They, I mean, just so it's a testimony of his, uh, of his resilience. Uh, the, the guy proved to you that you could be an outlier and still be incredibly effective. I mean, he wasn't a tall guy, but he was a, a guy who can get out to the passer. I really believe that his strength and his leverage was the key to him being such a dominant guy. I'm sure that offensive tackles did not want to block him because he was stronger than anybody I've ever seen. I watched him lift weights one time, and I'm just like, holy moly. And you can still watch him lift weights on YouTube, and you're like, Jesus Christ. I mean, the guy is incredibly strong. I mean, almost abnormally strong. So all of it worked for his advantage. It really did. And he's a, he's an all-timer. You got to give him that. He's an all-timer. And, you know, with Pittsburgh, with the, with all the linebackers at Pittsburgh, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. It really is. But One, uh, one thing I want to add real quick was I heard James Harrison gave his explanation one time. Somebody asked him about those hard hits and everything. And he said, I'm not trying to injure anybody, but I want to hurt them so that they don't want to return to the game. I want to, like, for that game, I want to make sure that they're done, that their will is gone. And, and I, see, there's, like, a fine line there, you know. And, see, that kind of stuff works for you. Like, think about right. it. I mean, it's like a promo, basically. Oh, I don't want to hurt anybody. You know, I don't want to hurt anybody, but I want to do this. And people, you guys eat it up. <laughs> right, right, yeah. They're just like, I don't know. I mean, it's like you're a big mouth bass when you hear that because you figure that's what a linebacker, it's supposed to be, you think about the history and the, the legacy of linebackers with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and when a guy is like that, that vocal, the ball head, all that stuff, people eat it up. And, you know, and they just buy into it. Now, the debate would be, honestly, between, like, who's a tougher guy, Harrison or Greg Lloyd? Yeah, that's, that's a tough uh, one. <laughs> you tell me, I mean, because... For me, it was Greg. Greg was by far, it was real for Greg. I mean, Greg, it was in his heart. I mean, he was a mean dude. He had a story as well. But um, those, that's what made the, it, it hurt Greg, <laughs> but it helps Harris. Right. Like, that was great. I mean, Harris is basically Greg Lloyd after Greg Lloyd. And where it will help other linebackers to be that way, it hurts Greg, but it helps James, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Let's uh, let's go a little old school here. Let's move on to Jack Ham. Yeah, I got, I'm sitting on pocket Jacks tonight. I'm feeling pretty good. So I got outside linebacker uh, Jack Ham. He's a Steeler always uh, for his entire career from 71 to 82, drafted out of Penn State, which should pique Kevin's interest. He was 34th pick in the second round in 1971, had 32 interceptions, two TDs. I think the keys to Ham's game was his quickness. Uh, Chuck Knoll said of him, he was the fastest stealer for the first 10 yards, and that includes wide receivers and running backs. And he was one of few outside linebackers who could play the pass defense as well as any of the top NFL safeties. His game was very instinctive. He was very patient. And he was a ferocious hitter like what we've been talking about. But he's 
the, the big key to why he was so successful was he was patient, he was seldom out of position, and he could kind of read the play, you know, right off the bat. He's a four-time Super Bowl champion, 9, 10, 13, and 14. In 14, he was sidelined and did not play. Uh, he had an ankle injury. He was six-time first-team All-Pro, uh, 74 through 79, second-team All-Pro from in 73 and 80. He was an eight-time Pro Bowler, NFL 1970s All-Decade Team, uh, NFL 100th Anniversary All-Time Team, Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Honor, Consensus All-American in 1970. He had three official sacks, but that's because they didn't really start um, documenting those officially until uh, I think his final season is when they started doing that. But uh, his 53 takeaways are the most in NFL history by a non-defensive back, while his 32 interceptions, I think, rank him third in all time among linebackers behind uh, Don Shinnick and Stan White. Uh, he ended up going on to be a color commentator uh, for the NFL, and I believe as a uh, current sports radio analyst for Penn State. Kevin, you might be able to confirm that. That's Jack Ham. So with Ham, he he played on you know the opposite side of Jack Lambert, but he was still able to distinguish himself out there. What are your thoughts, Levon, on Jack Ham? Oh, I, I love Jack Ham. I, I met him a few times, and we got along very well. I thought that as ferocious as Jack. Lambert was, I thought, that Jack Ham was cerebral in the way he played the game. It was a smoothness to it where um, he could make some plays, especially intercepting the ball. For him to have that many interceptions as a linebacker, I mean, that's amazing. It really is. That means that uh, they, they either ran the same kind of play all the time and he just kind of knew it, or he could really diagnose things very quickly. Uh just a guy that I love watching play, man. Just his game, you know, the best way I can really describe it is what I said before. Just a smooth operator in there. Um, not – maybe didn't have the temperament that most fans like in a linebacker, but, boy, he can make plays. And he made plays all over the field. Uh, very versatile, really. Just uh, one of the linebackers that – I thought was really one of the, I'm not going to say the first linebacker, but in my lifetime, me watching football as a kid, he was as versatile as a guy. You know, he can do it all. So, yeah, Jack is one of my favorites. He is. Um, he's supposed to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, if you don't if you don't put him in your top five linebackers, I don't, you guys don't know what you're doing. I can tell you right now, you guys, that's, that's you guys shouldn't be doing this if he's not. You're be talking five. about. I think you're talking about Kevin. He doesn't want to put him in the top five, so it's Kevin who doesn't know what he's doing. Never said that ever. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean I think um, you know he wasn't he wasn't a very outspoken guy. You know he wasn't that, but I mean if you watch the film, he made play after play after play. See, LeVon, real quick, I think that that's really impressive. And what I read on him was he was very feared on the football field. He was very tactical and surgical. But from all accounts, and I don't know him, I didn't meet him, but from all accounts off the field, he was very, very nice and pleasant, had a good yeah. demeanor. And, like, my point is you got to wonder, where did he take himself when he's on the field? How did he get into that mode, you know? Uh, yeah, you know what? You know, a lot of guys do that, though. You know, a lot of guys are different than what they are on the field. Um, <laughs> I, I have a story that kind of relates to that. Uh, I was dating a girl in Pittsburgh, and uh, she came to the game. And after the game was over with, I met her down by the lobby. We walked out, and we're just driving. And she looked at me, and she's like, who's that number 99? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, uh, that's not the guy that I date. She's like, that is not the guy that I date. She wasn't really into football, but I guess she saw the aggressive nature. And I just told her, like, hey, you know, in that on, <laughs> in that game, in that sport, you better turn around. You, you better find that vicious guy in you or you're going to get hurt and you're going to get picked on. So you had to turn yourself into something that was maybe different than your than your real personality. All right, well, let's let's put it your off off the field personality, because I think that most linebackers are a little crazy. <laughs> well, 
Well, let's go Joey Porter now. So number 55, obviously, third-round draft pick out of Colorado State, played for the Steelers from 99 to 06. He also was a defensive assistant and linebackers coach for the Steelers. So we get another uh, few seasons out of there, 2014 to 2018. Uh, he's on that Steelers all-time team, the NFL 2000s decade team. You know, I could run into a bunch of his stats that are going to be equal or better than the stats that you guys are all throwing out. But I just want to tell you two special things about Joey Porter tonight that I think add to his Steeler legacy. Um, the first one, 2003, before the 2003 season, he is shot in Denver. He's injured before the season. He misses two games. But he comes back and he plays just a very productive season. And as always, a crucial role in that Steelers defense um, to come back from that, it, not just the injury itself, but the, the stress that comes along with that, that was very impressive. And then as a coach with the Steelers, we go to 2016 Steelers-Bengals playoff game. He goes on the field as a coach to check on uh, an injured player. I believe it was the Antonio Brown, yeah. perfect hit on Antonio Brown. Um, he gets into a verbal argument with Pac-Man Jones on the field. Pac-Man Jones loses his goal, pushes Porter, 15-yard penalty. Steelers are in field goal range now, take the 35-yarder to win the playoff game and move on to the next round. Um, so those are just two very great things that he did has done for the Steelers organization. I mean, of course, he's got his all-pros. He's two-time first team, two-time second team, four Pro Bowls. He's got all the stats that are up there with everybody else. So, LaVon, you played with Joey. Um yeah. He kind of took over after after you left. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on Joey Porter? Uh, <laughs> Joey's my guy. Joey's like the little brother to me. I remember, you know, it's so funny. Uh, he came in and he was just kind of, he was kind of humble, you know, um, a little different than his on-the-field character. And you knew right away that he could play. He wasn't. The thing was, uh, he made a lot of mistakes uh, his first year. But guys like Jason and myself, we saw the potential in Joey. And we knew Joey was going to be a starter. Like, he didn't really become a starter until the second year. But we knew he was going to become a starter. So it was like me, Earl, and Jason knew that he was really good. But we also knew that he kind of struggled understanding the defense a little bit. Hmm. And <laughs> in all honesty, we helped him out a whole lot. We used to tell him when he was going, when he was dropping. I mean, we helped him because we knew that he could help us. You right. know, and so we were just like, you know, normally guys don't help guys. Like, you know, guys would be like, well, I'm not going to tell him what to do. It's on him. But we felt we felt the need that he we need to help this guy a little bit. And we know, you know, it's a thing about you have to catch on. You know, uh, Joy, Joy was a smart player, but sometimes when you haven't played that kind of position before, it's different what he did in college. Some guys it takes a little longer to understand the three four. And in our scheme, it was a little difficult sometimes. You know, you had to know everything, and then plus the outside linebackers had to know both positions. They didn't play one side or the other, or well, they played. They played on one side, but they had to know the Sam and the Will position. That's a lot of work, you know, to know both positions. Right. But it helped our defense out a whole lot. It really did. But yeah, Joey was uh, he was he was the mold of, uh, of Greg. He was explosive. He can come off. He can make plays. Man, I love playing with Joey Porter. I, I wish I could have played with him a little longer. And he kind of energized me a little bit too. I really like his energy, having a young guy like that. It really helps. I think a lot of times it can help the veterans if you're kind of you, – you're okay with it, you're open to it. And I, I thought he did. I, I thought he did a great job, you know, after I left, his development. It was cool to see him grow up as a linebacker because I, I know the beginning part. And I know he struggled a little bit, but I'm telling you, this guy could – he had the athletic ability. He was a great athlete. He could make plays on top of plays. He really could. So, yeah, I, I love Joey Porter, man. He's like a little brother to me. So we're going to go back in time again here. Andy Russell. 
So uh, Andy Russell, 1963, then he then he went to the military for a year, then 1965 to 76, all with the Steelers, come out of University of Missouri. So in 1969, when Chuck Knoll took over the Steelers head coaching job, he gathered the entire roster around him, and he told them, he said, I plan on building a championship, and I doubt that any of you guys here are going to be a part of that. And it turns out that Chuck was wrong because there was one guy on that defense that was a part of that championship uh, uh, story, and that was Andy Russell. Andy Russell, um, he was six foot two, 225 pounds. He wasn't the fastest guy, but he was tough and he was very smart. I uh, made a Pro Bowl in 1968, the year before Noel got there, despite being on the league's worst defense. Um, he played right linebacker in the Steelers' 4-3 scheme. He was able to make some big plays uh, unofficially. He has 38 QB sacks to his credit, 10 fumble recoveries, and 18 INTs. Uh, he was durable as well. He played 12 NFL seasons and never missed a game. So he played in all 168 out of 168 possible games. Uh, he ended up making seven Pro Bowls, four All-Pro teams, and was a large part of two Super Bowl championships. And his 93-yard fumble return for a touchdown against the Colts in the 1975 playoffs uh, sealed a deal for the Steelers, and it stood as the playoff record for several years after that. So, Andy Russell. So, LaVon, you were on two Steelers teams that had losing seasons. The rest were all winning seasons. Andy Russell was on some of the worst Steeler teams of all time. What, what does that do to a player's head uh, when teams are playing that bad? It, it's tough. It's tough on your psyche because, uh, you know, losing kind of it, it festers. You know, um, you can learn from losing, of course, but you never want it to be a habit on your team because what it does, it, it really douses your hope of ever winning or – a lot of times you don't know how to win. So you end up making mistakes. You end up losing because it's kind of a habit of losing. You know, the, the team understands how to lose, so they will find a way how to lose. You really have to, like Chuck Noll did, come in there and change the culture around. You have to, you know, you basically have to clean the, clean the house. And, um, you know, men back then, I, I just think they were tough, man. I just think that it had to be tough in a lot of ways. I mean, to go to the military and then come back and to play in the NFL, it probably helped him a whole lot. And it was cool for, for me, like, to look back on his career and think that, man, after all those hard years, he ends up being a champion. And that has to be satisfied. And I think that says a lot about A.D. Russell and uh, the hustle and the grit that he had to be able to endure those many years of losing and be able to hang on long enough to be the forefront of a culture that has been going on forever as far as linebackers concerned. When you think about the linebacker core, you always think about Russell, Lambert, and Ham. Those are guys that started it all, and he was an integral part of that. So you got to have a lot of respect for him. Surprise with seven Pro Bowls that he's not into – he's not in the Hall of Fame, is he? Oh, he's not. No, he's, he's no. snubbed. That's, but it's tough if you're a Steeler to be in the Hall of Fame. It's a tough one. But uh, he's another guy I think he should definitely be in there as well. So, yeah, I mean, Andy Russell was a, a tough guy, smart guy. You know, uh, I can imagine what the huddle was between him and Lambert. That had to be interesting. Oh, yeah, so got, that was fun. We got three Steelers greats left. Let, let's go to LeVon Kirkland since – yeah. He, wants, he wants to hear his name out there. Number nine. I want to critique. I want to critique myself. Yes. Critique yourself. Second round pick by the Steelers in '92. Uh, was with them until, of course, 2000. We got two-time All-Pro, two-time Pro Bowler, 1997 NFL Alumni Linebacker of the Year, NFL '90s All-Decade Team. I had mentioned that in the intro, of course. Um, you know, we kind of mentioned earlier upon Greg Lloyd leaving. It was Levon Kirkland who became a leader of that defense, and he lived up to it. Uh, absolutely 100%. He's got a career. We've got 18 forced fumbles and three seasons. He's in the top 10 in that category. 19.5 um, sacks. Now, that wouldn't sound like a lot, but he's not an outside linebacker. So let's factor that in here, too. We got a middle linebacker. I, he, 
one of I think we only have two middle linebackers we're talking about tonight. So that is uh, it's a different position than the outside linebacker. He's got 11 interceptions. That's a pretty nice total there. 1,026 career tackles. That is a lot of tackles. Um, and that's good for 79th all-time in NFL history. So of all the linebackers and all the time played, Mr. Kirkland is 79th of every defensive player out there, not just linebackers. Um, he's the only player on this list, um, you know, that in my opinion, he – He's the only player that didn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback at some point in their career. Um, even T.J. Watt, who we talked about later, he got a couple of years with Roethlisberger. I know it wasn't Roethlisberger's best years, but he still got to play with a Hall of Fame quarterback. LeVon didn't get that. He had guys like, you know, no offense to any of them, but Kent Graham, Mike Tomczak, Jim Miller, Cordell, Neil, O'Don Neil O'Donnell. I mean, they were serviceable, but they weren't, they weren't Terry Bradshaw or Ben Roethlisberger. So LeVon <laughs> – Critiquing yourself is one thing, but I mean, I, what were your thoughts on how you played? But more importantly, what did it mean to you to be part of the Steelers organization? Well, I, I'll go with that. I, I thought it was a tremendous thing. Um, I remember as I was getting drafted, really, you know, really getting to talk to Coach Cower his first year. And I remember saying to myself, I really want to play for this guy. And so when the 38th pick came up, I went into the bathroom of my sister's home and I was like, they're going to pick me. They're going to pick me. They're going to pick me. I went into the kitchen. I sat by the phone. They called, um, they called me up and Tom Donahoe talked to me first. Then a guy named Charles Bailey, who's been a long time scout for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He got on the phone and he was just like, do you guys have cable TV? in Lamar, my hometown, because it's such a small hometown. They, he thought we didn't have cable. He thought we were like 20 years behind. And, you know, I was like, yeah, of course. He's like, do you guys have ESPN? I'm like, it's on a basic um, package. And then he told me I was a part of the black and gold, and I was like thrilled. And I remember going up there my first time thinking like, boy, I have to really earn my position. The thing, too, I was playing a position I never played before. And so I saw myself, you know, in college, you know, I was All-American, you know, three-time All-ACC. I saw myself as an outside linebacker, and we played the 3-4. But I had to move to a totally different position, which I didn't know anything about. And, you know, that first year I ended up being a special team guy. But I was the kind of guy who I was very competitive, did not want to sit the bench. At all. I, I couldn't take it. I was like, I got to play. And so I knew David Little was my competition. And um, I really learned a lot that first year and ended up being a starter. It still took a while for me to really understand the position. But I think because I was a better athlete, because I know people people always ask me all the time, my size. That I mean, that's everybody. <laughs> that's what I'm known for. Uh, just my size, and I was a big linebacker. But what I think a lot of people get confused with me, if you ask anybody who played with me, um, I can do every, I could do everything well. I could stop the pass. I can cover. I can cover downfield. I can get back, stop the run. I was a very, I was more versatile than my size really dictates, and. That was <laughs> – and I played with three other guys who were great players, you know. It was it was tough to – it was tough to get that kind of um, – it was tough to get the pub that the rest of the guys got um, because I wasn't like a mean guy. I was friendly most of the most part. I didn't have a hook, you know. I, I really didn't. I was just a big linebacker. And I think a lot of people kind of – really didn't see me uh, as much as they really should. I think if you paid attention, you're like, wow, this guy can really play. And I got the respect of everybody in the league and my teammates. But, you know, I, I thought it was just an unusual linebacker who played at that time and period that people probably thought, no way in the world he's supposed to be playing. He's supposed to be playing on the D-line. But the fortunate for me, I was with the coaching staff, you know, like a guy like Dick LeBeau, Dom Capers, Marvin Lewis, 
um, BC, Coach Coward, man, those guys, they saw it differently. They saw my size as more of an advantage than a disadvantage. So I, I would not put myself in the top five linebackers. I, I'm going to let you know. And my numbers don't really speak of it, but I, I thought I was a really solid player. I thought I was a player that was very consistent, solid for the most part, made some big plays, but for the most part was a very solid inside linebacker that um, held on to the position for nine years. So that's how I see myself. I don't really see myself that special. I just saw myself as a really good linebacker that when we played in 3-4, you needed a guy like me to make it work. And that's what I was. I was just a, a piece of the puzzle. We had some great players, man. So when I got to the point where I was just like, you know what, it's all about winning for me. Uh, that's when I started really playing it to another level. So uh, I would not put myself in the top five, may not be in the top ten. But I, I think that people, there's some mystique there that people remember and know. Well, let's move on to T.J. Water, only active player. Yes. Yeah, and I know how you guys are about the younger players because they haven't really established themselves. But this man's breaking records. This this man has a strong argument. Uh, plays He played for uh, University of Wisconsin, unfortunately, against my alma mater, Penn State. Uh, but he was drafted by the Steelers in the first round, 30th overall in 2017. He was a finalist uh, for Defensive Player of the Year in 2019 and 2020. And as we all know, he just recently won uh, for the 2021 season, the Defensive Player of the Year. What, uh, in 2021, he was signed to a four-year extension worth $112 million, $80 million guaranteed, making him the highest player, uh, defensive player uh, in the NFL, highest paid defensive player in the NFL. You're not getting that kind of money if you're not one of the best, if not the best. Uh, his rookie season, they had actually signed him to a four-year, fully guaranteed $9.25 million contract with about a $5 million signing bonus. Again, they knew what he was worth uh, as a rookie uh, to offer him that. Despite missing two games in 2021, he tied the single-season NFL record uh, for quarterback sacks, matching Michael Strahan's 22-and-a-half sacks um, set in 2001, a record that stood for 20 years. Uh, he tied it. T.J. Watt has had double digits four out of his five seasons um, for sacks, and the only season that he didn't have double digits was his rookie season. He ran a 4.69 40-yard dash. That's pretty impressive for a linebacker. Um, at the combine, he finished second in the vertical jump and three-cone drill, First in the broad jump and sh short shuttle. This man, he's he's he can move. He can definitely he has mobility. Uh, so right now he currently has a total of 72 sacks, which is only eight behind Harrison for the Steelers uh, lead. 32 pass deflections, 22 forced fumbles, four interceptions, and this is all just in five years. He made four Pro Bowls. So four out of the five years he made the Pro Bowl. Won the Deacon Jones Award uh, the last two seasons for leading the league in sacks. In 2019, he was the co-leader in forced fumbles. He won the Butkus Award in 2020 for top linebacker. He was also on the all-rookie team in 2017. For NFL records, he's tied for the most sacks in the season, tied for the most seasons leading uh, the league in sacks at two, and tied for most consecutive seasons leading uh, the league in sacks. He makes So, LeVon, the, the, the argument against him tonight is he's only been there five years. You think he can maintain these levels for another five years? He already is a tad injury prone. Uh, it's hard to say. It really is. Um, you, you don't know. Uh, I, I give him a lot of credit, Ella. Uh, he, he's a I think he's a tremendous player. I really do. I mean, he's a guy that can, I mean, he can rush the passer. He rushes a passer about as good as Kevin Green rushed a passer. And, I mean, Kevin was phenomenal. And Kevin was older when he was with us. But uh, he does a good job of rushing a passer. I, you know, too, though, you got to take into account that this is more of a passing league. So right. do outside linebackers have a more of an opportunity if you're just – if you're a rush guy? Yeah. So the numbers are going to be just like the passing yards. It's going to improve. <laughs> you got to think about when we played, 
even they really they didn't really throw the ball as much. Maybe Houston did with the run and shoot. But a lot of teams, you know, it was kind of 50-50. Everybody wanted to run. Everybody was always about establishing the run. So I, I think it's a little different, you know, nowadays that they want to pass the ball. So a lot of emphasis are on those guys who are rushing the passer. They get a lot more opportunities to do that. But it doesn't take away the guy's ability. The guy can flat out play. And if he can stay away from injuries, I, I feel like he'll be a very good player. He does. I mean, I, I really do. I mean, the guy is dynamic in what he does. Uh, it's just, you know, a uh, special type guy that, I mean, he can, he can bring it. The only thing you need really for him is another guy who can bring it pretty well. He doesn't have to bring it like him. And I guarantee you'll see his numbers go way up. So I like him. I, I think he's, uh, you know, he's that future, you know, that, that tall, can run, can jump kind of athlete that they have now. Just a better athlete. And you put him on a football field, you let him rush the passer with his ability, he's going to make a lot of plays. He really is. So, But I bet he rushes the pass a whole lot. <laughs> I bet is if you probably take the averages of what maybe Kevin and Greg did as far as rushing the passer, I guarantee his numbers of rushing the passer is probably greater than their – times they rush the pass. So it kind of plays hand in hand because the game is a lot different, but I can't take any way, anything away from a guy. And if I think you're excellent, I think you're excellent. And I'm not going to take any way, anything away from him. He's an excellent player. He really is. Pittsburgh is okay. lucky to get have him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, our final player tonight, Jack Lambert. Okay, would you like to be a quarterback and have this, this looking at you right here? You got them summer teeth. Some are here, some are there, some are missing. But uh, that's what I think of when I think of Jack. He, he used to stare down quarterbacks before each play would unfold. Very intimidating. Kevin kind of talked about this with his player, I think. But scouts thought he was too small. And it depends on what source you read, but it kind of varies. But he was under just under 6'4", but 204 pounds. And uh, LeVon was talking about this, about changing positions. Well, Jack was actually a quarterback at Crestwood High School, and then he switched to defensive end at Kent State. But he played from the Steelers from 74 to 84. Same as Jack Ham, four-time Super Bowl champ, six-first-team All-Pro, uh, nine-time Pro Bowler. He's defensive NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 1976, NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year in 1974, uh, 1970s All-Decade Team, NFL uh, All-Decade Team, NFL 75th Anniversary All-Time Team, uh, he's in the Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Honor. Um, he actually went on to be an analyst, too. I think he was on NFL Westwood 1. But I'm pretty confident in Jack. And since Kevin took about 17 minutes to talk about T.J. Watt, I'll stop it right there. So not only probably the best Steeler linebacker of all time, but he may be top five in the NFL all time. LeVon, what do you think? Wow, that's an argument that he's in the top five. He's definitely... Uh, he brings a persona. I, I think when you think about the linebacker position at the Pittsburgh Steelers, which they've had a lot of great linebackers, Jack Lambert is the number one guy. You know, attitude, playing ability, what it means to be a Steeler linebacker. If you look at the definition in Webster's, his name, his face is right there. Um, he brought the attitude that seems to linger as, I mean, you hear about Jack Lambert and you, you hear about how impressive he was and how intimidating he was. I think that Greg Lloyd kind of followed his lead mm -hmm. in bringing that tenacity to it, but he was definitely the first one. And it's always something about the first guy who did it. No matter what other guys do behind it, the first guy is always number one in our heart, <laughs> always. And I think that Jack Jack Lambert will be number one, no matter if you look at the numbers and say guys have better numbers. I think his attitude really showed. And I think every linebacker, um, <laughs> every linebacker that's ever been there understand what the legacy of linebackers are with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I can tell you a quick story how much I respect him. Uh, when I was getting my jersey number, uh, I had 45 when I first got there, 
And I remember they brought me in because I had to change my number. Back in those days, you could only wear 50 through 59, 90 through 99. And I remember the first two jerseys that they had laid out. <laughs> they had 58 and 59. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way I'm wearing those numbers. No way. <laughs> and I guarantee you now, nobody will wear those numbers. Especially, especially Jack Lambert. There's, no, there's not a linebacker that's going to ever wear that jersey. Right. And if he does, he's gonna. If he doesn't play to Jack Lambert's level, he's gonna get it. Yeah. He's gonna hear from everybody, from you guys, from the fan base to the front office. You just can't wear that number. That's how special Jack Lambert is for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, this is your your guys' conversation, but it would be hard pressed not to have him <laughs> as maybe your number one guy. I'm just giving you a little bit of a. You know, a little bit of tip, a little bit of advice. <laughs> but, yeah, Jack was a guy that was uh, beyond anybody else that walked through those halls. If you think about linebackers, the number one guy you're going to think about is Jack Lambert. Just like if you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers, the number one player you're going to think about is Mean Joe Green. Whether that's, you know, whether that's fiction or fact, that's what you think about. With Jack Lambert, you make him look at the film and say, he couldn't do this or he couldn't do that. But he really represents what linebackers are supposed to be. And he was that guy. You got to give Jack all the credit in the world. <clears throat> Let's move into our vote. Can't pick your own, Brian. Well, I mean, my favorite moment about Jack Lambert was Super Bowl uh, ten. Roy Jarella misses a kick. And the Cowboys, Hollywood Henderson's over and tapping him on the head, like, yeah, good job, good job. Jack it, wasn't Hollywood, it wasn't Hollywood Henderson. It wasn't Hollywood? Who was it now? Oh, it was, um, my bad. It was Harris. It was, it was Harris. That's right. It was Harris. Yeah. Yes, and he I know. Over and throws him, throws him <laughs> down and tells him, get out of here. And, and the Steelers started playing so much better after that. So you got to go with Jack Lambert, man. He was the heart and soul of that, uh, that Steelers defense. Paul? I'm going Greg Lloyd. Uh, LeVon talked me into him. I, I was on the fence with him and Harrison, but I, I love what you said about Greg Lloyd. He was very intimidating. I'm going Greg Lloyd. Kevin. Yeah, I rep my alum. Go with Ham. Check Ham. And uh, I got to take James Harrison. I don't really even need a reason for that. He's so good. So for our, our fifth person on tonight's entry, LeVon, you got the option of uh, – Joey Porter, Andy Russell, T.J. Watt, or yourself to finish out our list. Who's the names again? Joey Porter, Andy Russell, T.J. Watt, and yourself. Jeez Louise. I, I, out of respect, I'm going to go with Andy Russell. Wow, okay. I, I thought, I thought you, know, you, you could look at T.J., I mean – yeah, they're better athletes. I mean, Joey Porter, better athlete. Uh, TJ, better athlete. I just think that I, I'm just kind of going old school here and um, to endure what he did with all those losing seasons and to end up to be a champion and be a very significant part of the Steel Curtain defense um, is significant to me. I mean, other people may look at it differently. But um, I think Andy Russell. I think Andy Russell, I'll have to say, I mean, I'll have to say Watts, Joey Porter, and myself. <laughs> okay. I'm down the list. Very humble. So our tonight's top five, Jack Lambert, Greg Lloyd, Jack Ham, James Harrison, Andy Russell. Let's move into our Q&A. Brian and Paul, you both got two on the list. Uh, so we'll just start with Brian. First question. All right, uh, LeVon, so you played right next to Kevin Green for the Steelers um, three seasons uh, sadly, Kevin left this world uh, back in, in 2020. So what was he like as a teammate and as a man? I tell you, Kevin was a great teammate, especially to me. When he first came to the Steelers, I knew him from the Rams, watching him play. What a tremendous player he was. I mean, he was a great athlete, great technician, and he was one of the guys that really embraced me being a linebacker, inside linebacker with the Steelers. Um, first guy that I probably had dinner with 
him and his wife, Tara, and we just became tremendous friends. And he was just encouraging. And even after the game was, you know, even after we retired from the Steelers, me and Kevin kept in touch. Um, I probably kept in touch with Kevin more than anybody. And so it was sad for me when Kevin died, uh, just like a brother to me. But, man, you talk about Karras the pastor. He really fit into what we wanted to do. It was so smart. And he was – he got the long blonde hair, but I, I tell you, he was more military than any, anything. He was very – I mean, he just had a high standard. I mean, his locker was, I mean, immaculate. I mean, basically, he was the guy who – um made me and Chad watch film after practice was over with. After everybody was going home, we watched film together. And then Greg kind of joined us a little later. And we would talk about, we would talk about what we seen, what we're going to do, what we would do in this, in this situation. And I really felt that the four of us uh, pushed each other. But I think that Kevin was the one who kind of united us together. Kevin was the key to us. And um, I, I think that, you know, Greg was just kind of like, I'm a man, y'all leave me alone. But Kevin was a guy who had another perspective. And he 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 really he really brought us together as far as watching film. Uh, although Greg was more so the vocal leader, I, I thought Kevin did a good job of really a guy who did it all you know, before he came there and to, for us, for me and Chad, I thought he was great. He's a great mentor. Really was. Paul. Yeah, I wanted to get your, I've always wanted to ask this of a Steeler who played with him. So I want to go off the board a little bit, but when I look at, when I was younger and I look at somebody like Cordell Stewart and he was, I guess, towards the end of your time with Pittsburgh, but as you look, as you played with him and you look at the NFL now, do you think that Cordell might have been a little bit of ahead of his time and maybe they didn't know very, sort of how to very, get... very much so. Okay. That's, very I just, much so. I felt like he was underutilized and you guys were such a defensive team. You had Dick LeBeau, just a genius. But, like, Cordell Stewart, in my opinion, I want to hear what you say. Nowadays, I think he'd be a star. Cordell would have been a star nowadays. But I thought Pittsburgh did a great job. I, I thought I give Bill Carr the credit. The when Cordell <laughs> the reason why Cordell started playing because he was really just on the scout team, not doing much, right? And they put him at wide receiver. And I think everybody you're talking about African American quarterbacks, man, they just saw they saw the athletic ability first. They didn't see quarterback first, they saw athletic ability first. And I'm going to say that Pittsburgh was probably the same way, you know, but they did draft him because this guy was a phenomenal player. I mean, yeah. let me tell you, he would eat us up in practice. I mean, him playing receiver. And I think somebody went to him, either Dick LeBeau or maybe Coach Coward came to the conclusion, we have got to play this guy. This guy is too good to be setting the bench. Yeah. And sure enough, he sparked us that, that year we went to the Super Bowl. You know, as far as a, I think when he played quarterback, he was, wasn't quite utilized, you know. Um, he was a guy that, you know, back then the stereotype was so bad that guys didn't really want to use their feet as much, you know. I, I always thought it was tougher to play against a guy who could scramble and, and the, the kid can throw the ball. It would have just took him maybe a little time to, like, read the coverages or whatever. I mean, I, I think now they didn't really play the Cordell strength all the time. But I thought that Pittsburgh did a good job of utilizing him. I mean, even putting him at quarterback, to be honest with you. They, I mean, that's before a lot of black quarterbacks were playing quarterback mm -hmm. at the time. So, in a lot of ways, they did – they were they were kind of innovative, especially Chan Gailey. He was, and then we got um, who we have after him, and I think it really hurt his career. Um, the guy that was at um, Houston. Um, Gilbride. Gilbride, that's who it yeah. was. And Gilbride killed his career. I think he hurt his career a lot by saying, stay in the pocket, read the, you got to read the 
every quarterback is not the same. Cordell, yeah. Cordell could have been, I'm telling you, man, Cordell should have been even more dynamic than he was at Pittsburgh. And he was pretty dynamic. And I, I think it just took a guy who could understood, who really understand Cordell and where he came from as a quarterback and use those raw materials. But back then, the, the thought process wasn't that way. You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. you, you, you played in a system, and the system was just what the system was. No matter who you were, you know, not adjusting to what he could really do. But I'm telling you, if Cordell would have came out like now, it would be a superstar. I'm glad I asked. I'm happy to hear you say that. I, I always felt like that myself. So Yeah, he would have been a superstar. Kevin. I hate bringing it up, but I want to take you to Super Bowl 30. Mm -hmm. um, you guys held one of the best running backs in the history of NFL. It's only 49 yards rushing. And Neil Donald actually out threw Aikman in yardage, too. What do you think kind of went, went wrong for the Steelers that, that game? I mean, the three interceptions I know from Neil Donald was kind of rough. But what was it like in that game? Well, I, I felt really good about playing Dallas. I felt that we were a defense that could really stop them because, honestly, they were pretty basic in what they did. They just had a really good offensive line. And, I mean, what they had as far as Aikman, uh, Smith, um, Michael Irvin, those guys, could, I mean, they, they just really worked the basic football thing. And I thought we, we had enough innovation that we can get with them. And, you know, they the first couple of drives, they, they got us a little bit. But once we calmed down, uh, we shut them out. I don't think they – I'm telling you, they would have – if we – I think in the playoffs and the Super Bowl games like that, you cannot make mistakes. You cannot turn the ball over. And you especially can't turn the ball over where they get, like, all the way, you know, to your end zone. And you give them a chance, a closer chance to score. So, although you don't want to say, yeah – you know, he blew the game. Those that last, especially the last interception, because we had all the momentum, and we we're going to win. I, I really felt like we we're going to win that game because they couldn't. From eighty to twenty, I mean, from twenty to twenty, they couldn't run on us anymore. We stopped them. We stopped them cold. They couldn't do anything on us. We gave them. We gave them that opportunity at the, um, at the very end. So. I think in those big games like that, you just can't make mistakes, especially to teams that are very good. Dallas was a very good team, but I thought we should have won that game. And I, I would say that forever, that we definitely outplayed those guys, and it was a game that we should we should have won. But you can't throw – you can't you can't turn the ball over. I mean, think about the Super Bowls that the Pittsburgh Steelers won. They, they didn't turn the ball over. The, right. the other Super Bowl that they lost, they turned the ball over. And, right. uh, I'm sorry, and you just can't do that. So we'll, we'll get we'll get you out of here with this tonight. Um, I, I do want you to tell me about the South Carolina Hall of Fame, um, but I also just have a question to go with uh, with that. So a lot was made in the 2021 season about the Steelers not playing the Steeler way. Uh, a lot of players were vocal about that. Former players like Mean Joe Green was one of them, of course. Uh, James Harrison as well. And um, uh, the former safety who's on ESPN. I'm blanking on his name now. Ryan Clark. Thank you, Ryan, Ryan Clark. Clark. So yeah. what are your thoughts on what is the Steeler way? And did you notice that in the team this year that they, they weren't showing that? I mean, yeah, if you compare them to all those great Steeler defenses, then they don't really compare, I, I imagine. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of – it's tough to say that they they did that. And, and they didn't. They just didn't um, – they didn't measure up to that type of defense. Do they have the players that can do it? Uh, I think in certain areas they do. In certain areas they don't. I think that if you're going to be a good defense, I still believe this to this day. Some people may debate it, but I think you got to be good up the middle. If you're not good at your nose guard with, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're not good at your two 
If your two inside linebackers can't stop the run, you're going to be in trouble. And they're going to see – and teams in the NFL, they see that, and they're going to keep going at you until you prove that you can stop it. And I, I think that was probably the issue. They just could – most Steeler teams could stop the run. and They were a tough Steeler defense. And you would have to – I mean, you're going to bleed before you get in that end zone. I guarantee you. And it didn't seem that they had that, you know. But to me, that's coaches and players. As a player, you got to take ownership. You got to go out. You got you're the one out there doing it, you know. So you got to take you got to take ownership in what you're doing. You do. And it just seemed like they had a tough time, you know, um, stopping the run. If you can't do that, then now offense can do whatever it wants to. Right. Yeah, I think that was a struggle that you saw with the Pittsburgh Steelers, just not really being able to stop guys and not being able to do what you saw guys do. How, you know, uh, the one thing that that we were known for is just going downhill and going to get you. And wasn't quite that way this year for whatever reason. I don't know. But um, they got to get that side of the ball right because <laughs> – you're going to have guys that play going to be like, this is not the Steelers defense. And because everybody takes so much pride in that black and gold, man, you know, that if you don't play defense at Pittsburgh, then we're not coming to the games. That's, I mean, Pittsburgh is still one of the only places that defense really does matter. And I, now, don't get me wrong. I think it's harder to play defense now. I, I think the rules are – so much in favor of the offense, and it's really tough to play um, great defense. The middle of the field is now the offense. At one point in time, it was a defense. Now the middle of the field is the offense. You know, running um, receivers are not afraid to go across the middle because they know they're not going to get tattooed like they used to. Run, quarterbacks back in the day r running down the middle of the field, uh, man, there's no way quarterbacks would do that. Now they know it's a, uh, it's a hit-free zone. So right. they'll just, they just run down the middle, and they know they're going to slide. And it's tough because you take away the physicality of defense. And they're talking about all these targetings, got things like that, hitting the defenseless player. I'm going to tell you, they need to blame the quarterbacks for that. If a quarterback if – if a guy's defenseless, it's the quarterback's fault in a lot of those passes. The quarterback is supposed to protect the run, uh, the receiver when they throw the ball. I, I, I know a lot of people don't think so. So you want a free safety? Just what, what do you want him to do? I mean, defense is energy. De defense is seeing and reacting, and you got to be aggressive. So you want me to tackle this guy, but I can't be aggressive. It's kind of tough to do. And then you can't really – quarterbacks understand that they're not going to get hit. I'll be bold, too, if I was a quarterback, and I know I can't get hit. Back, I mean, and I'm not saying back in the day is better or anything, but I'm just saying the one thing I thought we could do back then was you could send a message without sacking a quarterback. You could hit him a little about, you know, a couple seconds late and let him and, and help him understand that you're going to be getting hit all day, my man. So you can throw the ball you want to, but you know you're going to get a licking. Can't do that now. Right. So now the quarterbacks back there, like, they're massaging the ball because <clears throat> they know they're not going to get hit. That's why they're playing for 40 years now. Right. <laughs> and uh, just tell us about the South Carolina Hall of Fame. Yeah, the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame, we recognize that in South Carolina, we're 41st in college and career readiness. We feel like that's not acceptable. I'm from the state of South Carolina. So what we're doing is we're educating, empowering, and encouraging our student athletes. And we want to start with our student athletes. We really feel that if this problem doesn't get solved, that everybody in South Carolina is going to pay the price, you know, um, because our kids are not prepared. And that's just, that's not, a, that's not right. So we recognize that problem. Um, we feel that we have a, a program, and there's a lot of other programs that we try to emphasize 
to help our kids become better students, better athletes, better people. So that's what we're basically promoting. We're promote. We're trying to help students have a better future. It's not about going to college. It's about having a better future, man. Just having a way that you can be successful. Is that's that website what we're doing. Yeah, it's a www.sc football spell all the way out hof dot org. So if you wanna if you wanna help us out, donate, you can, man. It's a for me, it's a it's a passion for me. You know, um, I was very successful, but I wish I could have had something like this that really mentor younger people. If you go to college for football, you're fine because your college is going to help you become more of a holistic person. I feel like we have to start it earlier. We have to start, we have to go into middle schools, even the elementary schools, and get those kids on board and teach them how to be successful. Well, everybody, make sure you check out that website. And we want to thank everyone for viewing tonight. I want to thank LeVon Kirkland for coming on and and given his point of view on all these players. Thank you so much, LeVon. We appreciate that. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Everybody hit that subscribe button. Thank you for watching again. We'll see you next time. Have a great night.